0: and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Balthasor. And welcome back to another scouting report, this time hopefully for a bounce-back game, but certainly not an easy game to open the conference slate up against the UCF Golden Knights. So we'll just dive straight into this. I believe I covered defense last time, so I can get offense this time.
1: Go for it, dude.
0: So <laughs> <laughs> their record last year was nine and five, six and two in the American Conference. They ran for three thousand one hundred ninety-seven yards, five point two per attempt, or thirty-five rushing touchdowns. 3,377 passing yards at 7.5 per attempt, a completion percentage of 64.5, 22 passing passing touchdowns to 9 interceptions, a third down percentage of 46.6, 36 sacks allowed, averaging 32.9 points per game for a total of 460.4. So they were a pretty prolific offense in the American last year, as pretty much every UCF team has been under Gus Malzahn and even a little bit before Gus Malzahn under Josh Whipple, which basically ran the exact same scheme because Weipel was heavily influenced by the Malzahn scheme with the ridiculously wide splits. But yeah, that offensively they were a really good team, and they're still the same offense. But
1: yeah, you said prolific, and that was the exact word I was going to use was prolific. I mean, uh, especially to have both passing and rushing over 3,000 yards. That is not an easy feat. No. So, um, shout out to them. That's a a really impressive thing they've done.
0: Yeah. Anyway, you have defense. Yep.
1: So, last year, their defense gave up 23.64 points per game. That's a total of 331 points over the course of the season. Um, And they allowed 3,112 passing yards, 15 touchdowns through the air, 2,208 rushing yards, 24 rushing touchdowns, Then they had six interceptions, 11 fumbles, and then as a defense, they had 22 sacks, which just seems a little low given that they played uh, 14 games, Mm -hmm. Uh, so kind of not incredible there, I guess, on their uh, sack rate, but... um, they didn't, for the amount of passing yards they gave up, they did not give many passing touchdowns. Yeah. Uh, so that, that kind of, to me, feels like uh, um, uh, prevent pass defense.
0: Yeah, which they changed coordinators this year, so it's not so much that anymore. But it was still worth noting. But in terms of this year's schedule, they've played two non competitive games and one competitive game against a backup quarterback they beat Kent State where they won 56 to 6, uh Boise State where they beat 18 to 16 in Boise, Villanova they ended up beating uh 48 to 14. So there wasn't a lot in terms of competitive film to watch. And if you okay, before I say this, we'll go into their their 2023 stats and since I covered the schedule, you get the the first half of the 23 stats.
1: Yep. Yeah, so, of course, right now, they're 3-0. and uh, We're going to be the first conference game, so don't have a record there yet. Um, and then, once again, very balanced offensive attack, 898 rushing yards at 6.4 per attempt, 955 passing yards at 10.4 per attempt, five touchdowns to four interceptions, and then 10 rushing touchdowns with a third down percentage on offense of uh, 54%. So that's all really, really good. Continuing to have a prolific statistics. Granted, inflated by uh, blowing out both Kent State and Villanova. uh, But still very impressive numbers to uh, hold on to.
0: Yeah. Um, In terms of defensive third down percentage, they're giving up first down on 33% of those. They're averaging as a team 40.7 points per game, only 36 points against but do have a negative turnover differential at minus I've only gotten eight total sacks against three teams that you'd think they'd have more against. Uh, Red zone defense, they're giving up a score 100% of the time, but only 67% of the time giving up touchdowns. Red zone offense, they are really bad. (laughs) Uh, Scoring 72% of the time and scoring a touchdown 56% of the time. And that is up against much lower levels of competition. So they're up to this point, they have not been a particularly efficient team in the red zone, which I think may be the one thing that kind of bites them in this game. But before we get into the scouting report, let's have a quick word from our sponsor. And welcome back to this episode of the Aggieville Alleycats where we're here to give the scouting report for the UCF game. And um, before we get into the scouting report, this team reminds me a lot of the scouting report for Oklahoma State two years ago. And for those of you who have stuck around for that long and remember our scouting report for that game you'll remember that we didn't really know what to think of Oklahoma State two years ago. We thought that they really could have been anything, with the very few genuinely known commodities on their team. Now, I don't think it's the same, but having watched the film of their games, I, we still don't really know how good this UCF team is. That's really, that's what I wanted to preface this with. I can tell, we can tell you what they're doing, but we don't know how efficient they will be doing it. With that said, Connor, you have the offensive portions all the way to the running game.
1: Yep. So, of course, it's a Gus Malzahn team, so they're going to run a Gus Malzahn offense, so they're going to be a spread and up-tempo team. That's what he did at Auburn. That's what he's still doing at UCF. And he's been very effective with it uh, throughout his time at UCF and so far this year for the most part. Uh, He's going to, again, like Ace said earlier, uh, use very wide splits in both the run and pass game uh, just to help spread the field out even more. Um, And then there will be generally at least one receiver playing outside the numbers. Um, And then he'll... um, I'm nickel and dime you with RPO after RPO and then go deep. Uh, this is without a doubt the spread up tempo offense ever. And this, this offense would be perfect in 2014 and it still works
0: very well. Oh, it's still an amazing, like offense schematically.
1: Yeah, but it definitely fits that era of college football of, um, high tempo, constantly looking for the huge explosive play. Uh, whereas it feels like things are maybe died down a little from the turbo era. Yeah. Um, but uh, this offense does have some callbacks to it. Uh, but when it comes to play calling, even though we did talk a lot of about uh, explosive plays, um, they do run the ball um, a significant amount more than they pass it. Their split is 59% rushing 41% passing. Uh, and they've also started breaking out a wildcat package near the goal line. Uh, Just so that way they don't have to run from their normal set. And also it's just kind of looking for uh, different ways to try and score given the lack of success that they've had in the red zone actually getting into the end zone. Uh, And the running game, they are fairly multiple offense. Uh, They do like inside zone, but they do have some GT counter and uh, tosses as well. Uh, so a, a nice blend of uh, various different uh, rushing styles. So they, they they like to mix things up. Um, play action, they run a lot of play action. 46% of their dropbacks are play action. Uh, and they like screens too. 12.4% of the time they are throwing a screen on a dropback. Uh, and they will run motion a ton if they're not running hurry up. Uh, so pretty much if they're in hurry, hurry up uh there's not going to be motion yeah uh if there's no uh hurry up then uh you're going to see motion pretty much every single time
0: yeah in a lot of ways the offense if you're a classic big 12 fan it's very reminiscent of the baylor offenses of uh 2012 to like 2015 2016 in that era um except for without the usage of an H-back, a lot of times they tend to use traditional, more like wing tight ends. That's neither here nor there. But getting into the specific players, we always start with the man under center. And because of the injury to John Rice Plumley, who I've been pronouncing his name wrong for three years, <laughs> it will be number nine, Timmy McLean, taking over the lefty transfer from USF. In terms of grades, this year he has a 92.2 offensive grade, 92 in the passing game, and a 71.7 in the running game. He's, first and and foremost, he's left-handed. So, Connor, you can feel seen.
1: I do feel seen. (laughs) Uh, Not often that you get to see a lefty QB.
0: Yeah. Uh, And the number one thing that stuck out with me, despite the fact that his running grades uh, are just kind of okay... Uh, he's actually a plus athlete in the running game. He's a threat if unoccupied in the option game and in the QB draw game because of his ability to make people miss because of his speed and shiftiness. He may not have the greatest pure track speed. like He's not going to outrun like receivers or anything. But he can definitely burn you if you're not paying attention. We, at this point, every single time, we, we've picked a superlative for he is x like best quarterback that we've seen this year. He's probably the uh, he's probably comparable to Brady Cook in terms of athleticism, probably a little bit faster. But his thing is that although he definitely does know the offense, he's not the quickest decision maker. And a lot of that can kind of be seen if you go into like his his pressure rates. Um he doesn't. He just kind of has a problem with hitching instead of just letting the throw rip, which is why I think his like the reliance on play action is very helpful because a lot of times with play action it's either an RPO or you're moving people out of the way so you don't have to hitch and second guess yourself, which is why his grades on PFF on play action is ninety three point five and a ninety three point six in the passing game, so you could argue he's a you know. He's pretty good <laughs> on a, in the passing game, but also just generally his time to throw is pretty slow at a 3.4 seconds per play. But yeah, his biggest drawback though is his limited arm strength. And I'm not saying that like he can't throw deep because you can have a weak-armed quarterback who can still occasionally throw deep. That's actually way more common and it's a pretty common misconception that you have to have a strong arm to go deep. You don't. Um, it's all about like how much you can drive the ball. Because in terms of deep passing, he's completing 50% of his deep passes and uh, 57% of his medium passes. But he just doesn't have that arm strength to like drive the ball in there. He's decent at lofting it up and letting the receivers run under it. But he's not going to make those ridiculous, like, pinhole mailbox throws deep. Just because he doesn't have the arm strength to do it. But in terms of just pure attempts, he's pretty much a short passer, which you would guess because, you know, RPOs. Uh, 15% short left, 12% short center, and then 18% short right. But other than that, he's, he's not a bad quarterback. Again, he's solid. I wouldn't say he's better than Plumlee. I would actually say that it's not close. Uh, Plumlee clears pretty easily. But McLean is far from a bad quarterback, especially in this offense, which kind of prioritizes, you know, make your decision, make it quickly, and then let your receivers do what they do. Uh, Connor, do you have any, any last thoughts on Timmy McLean before we move on to the running backs?
1: Um, you nailed most of it, but yeah, he's, um, as a deep ball thrower, he's relying a lot on his receivers to make it happen after the catch, which I think is difficult to glean from the, uh, stats alone. Yeah. Uh, because if you just look at a box score, you see that he had like 300 yards, over 300 yards passing against Villanova. But if you go beyond that you will see that a lot of that was right after catch from his wide receivers which is a whole separate issue in of itself but uh we can he in theory knock on wood is not a good deep ball thrower and should not uh be as effective um over the top as brady cook was uh but again a lot of that depends on uh our timing, Because if he gets the ball out at just the right time uh, and we aren't ready to defend, then they could complete some over the top. Yeah. Just maybe the completion point's a little earlier.
0: Yep. But anyway, you have the two running backs, R.J. Harvey and Johnny Richardson.
1: Yep. So starting with Harvey, uh, he wears number seven. He has a really nice uh, hip sink uh, when he starts his jump cuts. Uh, so his cuts are very drastic and quick. Uh, just because he's able to uh, um, keep his hips low. Um, And then he also has solid vision. He won't run himself into bad angles. Um, He does have a tendency to slow play um, sometimes, thinking he's Le'Veon Bell, I guess, and (laughs) he he is not. Uh, He's not bad, but he's not Le'Veon Bell. And then uh, a faster defense could potentially take advantage of this if they're able to time uh, some run blitzes properly and get after him a little bit more. Uh, if you sit back and wait for him, then you're just playing to him exactly what you want, and, or exactly what he
0: wants. Because yeah, so, he, he's reading your leverage. Yeah,
1: so you'll, when he's in the game, the idea should be to get after him quickly, uh, as long as you don't over-pursue, because that also plays into his hands. And we saw Texas Tech use that against us last year uh, with us uh, going way too fast, in the run game. Yeah. But pretty much, we need to find a Goldilocks zone with him. We can't go too fast, and we definitely can't go too slow with him. If we adjust the right speed, then we should be able to um, handle him.
0: Yeah. Uh, you want to touch on his grades?
1: Uh, yeah. Um, this year, uh, he's got a 78.7 uh, overall on PFF. Uh, his past game is 74. Uh, And his pass block is actually fantastic. Uh, He's got an 83 pass blocking grade, uh, which is a little unusual. Uh, And then his running uh, grade is an 81. The only really negative part is his run block grade, which he's a running back, so I don't really (laughs) care about his run block grade. So uh, by all accounts, he's a pretty solid running back. Uh, There's there's not a lot to uh, really deny there. But he uh, um, generally is running to the outside more often than not. Uh, He's... uh, Kind of got it. I don't know if I'd quite call it outside zone, but he is definitely getting to the outside um, and going uh, beyond the tackles more often than not. UCF does like toss plays, uh, but he's got um, three of his four touchdowns uh, going off of the defensive ends. So uh, we'll want to contain him on the outside, and he's got and he's broken off a couple of pretty long runs as well uh, up the middle. He is less effective. Um, he's not. Necessarily bad, but he's definitely more dangerous going to the outside, averaging eight yards per carry, uh, going at the defense, uh, going off of uh, tight ends. So, uh, just got to keep that in mind defensively.
0: Yep. Then you have his running mate, who's also an undersized running back, uh, BJ Harvey's 5'8". His running mate's five seven.
1: Yeah. Uh, so um, here we got Richardson. Uh, his. Uh, speed and acceleration, top tier. Um, he is all go all the time, uh, but he has negative vision, um, so that does not work in his favor whatsoever, uh, especially given that he, he accelerates quickly um, and has great speed, which is awesome, but he is committing pretty early to a direction that he's going, and so he could run himself into trouble pretty easily. Uh, and uh, that's uh, not exactly what you want from one of your running backs. Uh, but um, other than that, uh, his offensive grades as uh, just under 79. Offensive grade at 78.9, 73.1. The pass game, pass blocking grades pretty bad. As uh, run, uh, his running game is uh, at a 78.2, and his run block is just a little below average at uh, 57. So. Uh, nothing absolutely crazy, but again, he's a running back. I'm an undersized one at that, so I'm not super worried about what his uh, uh deal is. Um, but, yeah, overall, he's averaging 6.1 yards uh, per attempt, uh, per rushing attempt. Uh, he runs best off of the left guard. Um, only three attempts there, but he averages nearly 12 yards a carry. They have him mostly going either off of the right end Or uh, going uh, middle-right. That's where they have him going the most. Uh, He's pretty effective um, going middle-right. Right Right end, not so much. Uh, Only 2.9 yards per carry off of the right end. But regardless, uh, it seems like their focus is to get him rushing to the right. Uh, It seems that that's where he's more effective. Uh, Other than he is fairly solid off the left end. But again, kind of small sample
0: size. Yeah. So that's the running backs there. Receivers are a little, they all kind of, <clears throat> excuse me, all kind of blend together. Uh, it's number two, Kobe Hudson, number one, Javon Baker, and then number three, Xavier Townsend. Um, Kobe Hudson is, like, he's kind of, he's a he's an Auburn transfer. Uh, 76.9 PFF grade, 77 in the passing game. Um, he's, I, he's difficult to describe except for the fact that, that he's probably the fastest on the team. It'd be a close race because all of their receivers are fast. Who would have guessed an RPO-based Gus Malzahn offense wants fast receivers? Shocking. I could have never guessed that. Um, his biggest thing is that he's a really good deep ball tracker, and but despite that, he's like spotty when it comes to catching bullet passes, and half of it is concentration, the other half is just not being a good catcher outside of frame uh in terms of deep balls though he's a very much deep and intermediate receiver an 89 or 89.8 receiving grade deep and then a 92.6 receiving grade intermediate with uh 17 and 22.86 yards per route run which if you're unaware of that oh my goodness that is ridiculous. <laughs> Uh, He has also yet to drop any of his deep receiving targets this year, but he has dropped his intermediate and short targets quite a bit. Uh, 14.3 and 12.5 drop percentage, respectively. But he's been a really, really good deep threat and rack threat, which, you know, again, it's a Gus Malzahn offense, so you kind of expect that. And then you have number one, Javon Baker, who has himself 71.5 offensive grade, a 69.8 in the passing game. He's a transfer from Alabama. And similarly, he also is very good deep with a 96.8 receiving grade. Hasn't dropped any of his deep attempts. He does have pretty bad drop problems, though. But his best way to describe him is his shiftiness, both in route running and after the catch. And like all the others, he fits the mold of a Malzahn receiver, an amazing athlete. You can take slants to the house just by making people miss or just straight out out, you know, out speeding people. But he is dropping a third of his targets on medium and short routes, which is uh, some might call that unideal. I think I would be one of those people.
1: (laughs) I'm inclined to agree with you, too.
0: Yeah. But his yards per route run is uh, 19.66 deep, 9.13, and then 4.17 in the short game. And then, of course, you have number three, which is Xavier Townsend. Uh, He has a 66.2 offensive grade, 59.4 in the pass, and then, weirdly enough, 82.7 in the running game. So that tells you he's also kind of a jet receiver. Um, He's not been targeted nearly as much. Uh, He's still a deep threat because, of course, he is. But he's just kind of the the third receiver that they're developing behind the Auburn and Alabama transfers. I wonder if they get along. The Auburn <laughs> and Alabama transfers.
1: Yeah, I guess that's. Inter- I didn't even think about that.
0: But yeah, I I wonder if they get along. Anyway, um, the receivers, all amazing athletes, all of them can take a slant or a go to the house if you let them. So it's going to be another big test for the secondary, are they as athletic as Mizzou's receivers? No. I don't think they're as good either in terms of hands. But they're not out of the same stratosphere. And because the tight ends are super boring, I'll also give you the uh, left side of the offensive line up to the center as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't even know if it's worth mentioning uh, much regarding the tight ends. I mean, number 82, Alec collar uh is one of the tight ends and he uh um has been at UCF for 5 years uh his um offensive grades is 64.2 uh, his passing grade is below average 58.6 pass block is just above average at 61.5 and he's a solid run blocker at 68 uh and he's like 63 230 so a little undersized for a tight end uh that's that's really about it, honestly. And I
0: listed the wrong tight end second. Yeah. So, uh, uh,
1: Randy Pittman Jr. is the uh, the other one, or we, we which one's the correct one? Randy Pittman. Okay. Randy Pittman Jr. is the second tight end. Uh, first year UCF, sixty four point one grade on offense, passing game grade fifty six point nine. His pass. Block is actually quite good at seventy three point nine, and his run block is also pretty good at seventy three. So, again, not a ton uh, to really write home about here. Uh, he it is just kind of doing his thing, I guess. Yeah, I, I'm not really even seeing where he has uh, receptions.
0: Yeah, he he's playing, I guess. Yeah, that's the best way to describe him. Yeah,
1: so he's fine, but. That takes us to the offensive line and their left tackle, uh, Tylen Grable. Uh, is a huge player, 6'7", 290 pounds, uh, really, really big guy. Uh, he started his career at Jacksonville State uh, and was a, a two-year starter there. And then he moved to uh, um, UCF, and he uh, um, has continued his pace from before. This year's his best graded year so far, overall 63.4. Overall in offense, his pass block up at an 87.9, and his run block uh, 67.7. So, above average run block and a very good pass blocker. Uh, That's exactly what you want out of a left tackle. Uh, He's technically sound, Uh, he uh, bases his game on getting his hands on you first. Uh, He's not uh, the type to wait for a rush to develop, Uh, and given that he wants to get his hands on you first, uh, you may want to attack that area uh, and try and kind of mess up uh, his routine uh, when it comes to blocking, because if you can uh, mess up an offensive lineman's routine, if they're not an elite offensive lineman, or even just a very good one, uh, then you can at least sometimes catch them off guard and... Uh, maybe get a good pass rush or uh, good uh, run stop out of it
0: yeah, and I think that that's i think that's fair. and then you have his uh, running mate number fifty four Bula schmidt yeah Bula Schmidt a little undersized uh six foot
1: one two ninety four uh, not as big as you would expect for an offensive guard uh, he spent four years at Fresno state uh, playing some in twenty nineteen and twenty. Uh, and then being a starter in 2021 and 22 uh, never really had a great year um, at Fresno State's uh, last year was fine at a 62.6 overall grade this year he's not been fantastic according to PFF a 54.2 on offense a 66.7 pass block and a 53 run blocking grade so nothing absolutely incredible and generally below average uh, for Bua Schmidt. Um, His pulling angles, he has a tendency to take them a bit too wide and over-adjust at the last second. Uh, UCF likes to run GT counter, so he does pull. Uh, And so a lot of times he finds himself working just outside his gap, but he gets uh, in the way just enough to inconvenience a defender. Uh, And despite everything else about him, he is not slow, uh, which... He is undersized, so he does add a little bit of a speed factor. And uh, given his uh, shortcomings uh, elsewhere, then uh, he definitely does need something on his side, and in this case, that's speed.
0: Yeah. And then, of course, you have the, the man in the middle here.
1: Yeah, that center. They have Drake Metcalf. He's about the same size um, as uh, Bula Schmidt. 6'2", two, 292, uh, and he wears number 60 which is kind of a weird center number. That's a little unrelated, I it, guess. Normally but,
0: they're in the 50s, yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I don't really love 60 as a number at all for a jersey. I don't know what it is. It just
0: doesn't seem right. But Technically, this is an old friend alert, too. Um. Oh,
1: what do you know? Yeah, he uh, started at Stanford. I had no idea. And he had, yeah, played two years at Stanford uh, and then transferred to UCF. And uh, so far this year, he's lost 172 snaps. Uh, But this also so far has been his best season, Uh, 67.9 grade on offense uh, with an 85.3 pass blocking grade, uh, which is pretty impressive given that he's undersized and likely facing nose tackles more often than not. And then a 66.1 in the run blocking department. Uh, So he's not really a mauler. Um, and he does not love nose tackles either. Despite that, he's still putting up a solid pass block grade. I'm not really sure how he's doing that. Well, but, uh, he's got enough functional strength uh, to not give up a horrible amount of ground. He's just not pushing nose tackles anywhere. Which, to be fair, you're not expecting many centers to do that in the first place. No. You just kind of have to cross your fingers and hope that they don't get exploded yeah and he he doesn't hope they survive yeah and he does a pretty good job of surviving and pass rush uh against the pass rush uh which is about all you can ask for from your center sometimes
0: yep moving on to the right side of the line it's led by lokahi paole i'm going to guess or paole i'm gonna guess that's how that's said uh he's a 6'4 305 pound guard He's a five-year player at UCF, a 66.9 offensive grade, 58.6 pass block, and then 69.4 run block. The pass blocking grade is actually way down from last year. He had an 85.1 last year. Um, There are a few plays where he's just getting straight bullied by a blitzing linebacker. He got blown back like five or six yards by a blitzing linebacker against Villanova. Uh... (laughs) um, so needless to say, his anchor isn't necessarily the best, and he has issues keeping himself balanced when he's immediately confronted with a punch. But if you give him his second to sort of you know set up himself, he's gonna he's not gonna do you any wrong. He's a solid enough guard in that way. But then again, that's most offensive linemen if you give them a second. Um, and then you have their right tackle, Marcellus Marshall, number 72, a 6'5, 310 pound tackle. He's what I would describe as a good not great tackle and that's kind of how PFF grades him out. Uh, He spent three years at Kent State before coming to UCF. A 68.9 offensive grade, 81 pass block, 70.7 run blocking grade this year. Weirdly he's a better pass blocker both in finesse and power than a run blocker which is not what you really expect from a right tackle. You expect that to be a more of a left tackle trait but you know Here we are. So, if I had to give their offensive line a grading, I would say they're solid to slightly above average. There's no one weakness to their offensive line. But that being said, I don't think they're this amazingly cohesive unit. Um, But that wraps up the offensive side of the ball. Now we can move into the defensive side of the ball under a new defensive coordinator. They uh they've actually made a few changes from last year, and uh, the first one is uh well, Connor you you can see it, and you know that I'm happy to to see it.
1: Yeah, so they do not run a three three five, uh so Ace is very happy. Um, I imagine the coaches aren't very happy because that means they have to um prep <laughs> for a different look uh but instead they run an offense that i personally have not encountered or defense i mean that i've not encountered uh, and that's a 245 uh i've i'm sure A.S. is familiar with it i am not <laughs> i i have never heard of a 245 until we started previewing uh, ucf uh, they're on two interior defensive linemen um two and that's that's our whole defensive line then you get to the linebacker um, level two of their guys are edge players but they're more linebackers or they're closer to linebackers. They're kinda of like a a three Swingers. four yeah they're like a three four outside linebacker I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, um and then they get two off ball linebackers and then five defensive backs, uh just kind of a normal level. Uh so um, interesting look. I'm not sure functionally how much different it will look um in
0: practice. Functionally it's a two four it's a four two five yeah the, it it's a small distinction because the edge players drop out more often into coverage in a two four five than a four two five but they still play from four man surfaces
1: yeah so it's not going to look different even though the principles are different yeah and they're doing different things that we may not be used to uh but in terms of coverages speaking of uh they're gonna run about everything which is a bit of a cop-out answer but some teams do just do that yeah uh they do like to rotate their safeties um into a cover three from a two high shell um and then they run a lot of man coverage which fine
0: yeah you'll see a lot of like cover one a lot of cover one buzz or cover one hole depending on how you want to feel about it that day a lot of cover five which is just cover two man then, of course, you have some cover three as well. They run just about everything, but they seem to really base out of like safety rotation uh, defenses, which is your cover ones, cover threes, stuff like that. But now we can move on to the their interior defensive line, uh, led by the first player, Lee Hunter, number two. 6'4", 320-pound guy. Um, he's really good. Uh, actually quite impressive to me he has an 86.3 defensive grade, 90.2 run run defense, excuse me. 70.8 tackling, 72.5 pass rush. He's his top priority is seemingly to go around you rather than through you, which is really rare for an interior guy cuz you know they they a lot of them want to leverage their strength more than they want to leverage their athleticism. In fact, the only person that I can think of like in the NFL who's able to do that Consistently is like Dexter Lawrence with the Giants, um, which I remember that pick being sauced on. But I actually kind of liked it because, you know, Dave Gettleman, nose tackle, LOL. <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. I don't know why I mentioned that. But, <laughs> but he, it's not even that he's attacking half of the man. He's just trying to backdoor everything as a defensive tackle. And it hasn't burned him too badly, so you could say that he's right to do it because it's worked for him for two years. Um, when this doesn't work though, he's borderline eliminated from the play. So in a way he's a very much win immediately or win never kind of like, uh, two, three techniques, sometimes a shade. Um, so he, again, interior defensive lineman, but yeah, I honestly, if he, if, I like watching him play because it's such a unique play style. Um, then you have the other interior guy, which is Ricky Barber, number five. There's not a lot of film notes on him. He's just a generally solid interior guy. 77.4 defensive grade, 80.4 in the run defense, and then a 65.1 pass rushing grade. He was a transfer from Western Kentucky way back in the day of 2020. And then he's been a pretty consistently good piece of their defense, uh, despite only being 295 and being an interior guy. But, yeah, I, he's good. That's all I got. <laughs> He's good. He's solid. Uh, Connor, you have arguably the weirdest room on their defense. Yeah. And what better way to start it than
1: with an edge rusher who wears number 88, uh, which also shout out to both their interior defensive linemen for having single digits. I absolutely love that. Yeah. Uh, and then they get number 88 on the edge with uh, Josh uh, Seliskar. And then they also have a number three with uh, Tremon Morris Brash. So they're really hogging some really good numbers. there on the defensive <laughs> they're line. They're horning them. Yeah. But uh, Celis Carr, he's a 6'4", 265 edge rusher, kind of has that prototypical size. Uh, he's got a really good uh, first step, but his reaction time to the ball's a little slow. Uh, so it kind of balances out, I guess, at the end of the day. Um, but again, with a huge frame, he does have a lot of power with it. Uh, he's a good pursuit player as well. Um, because he's a really good backside run guy, and he's also pretty good at tracking a quarterback uh, when they scramble. Um, all in all, he's a really solid edge rusher um, that you can't just leave alone. Uh, he's an intelligent player, he's a strong player, and he's got a high motor. He's, you can't really ask for a lot more in your solid um, edge rusher, yeah. I think. Uh, Zelaskar, a really nice player for UCF. Um, and his PFF grades reflected as well. 80.8 grade on defense, a 90.6 in the run defense, uh, 80.4 tackle grade, um, only a 52.9 in the pass rush, and a 74.1 in coverage. So there's a lot to like about uh, Josh if you're UCF. Uh, so hopefully we can um, contain him well enough. I'm not sure if that's going to be KT or Duffy slash Willis that's on him, uh, but uh, whoever it is, um, they're going to be sure to contain him um, and then the other um edge rusher they have is Tremont morris brash uh he um, is a bit of an odd duck he's 6'2 245 um he has the hybrid edge player role that a lot of 425 teams would run um but he doesn't do it in your normal way um his pre-snap stance is uh fairly neutral uh so he's not really leaning forward, uh, but he does put his foot forward. So he that just kind of sounds like standing, but yeah, with your legs yeah, in a different spot. He's
0: standing with his hand, like his feet forward, and it. He's literally, you know how sometimes you see defensive backs like they have their hands up ready if they're playing press coverage. He literally is like rubbing his knuckles together while he's on the line. That's so strange it's like a it's like kind of a prayer position but he has his arm, like his hands closed
1: that's really really strange and because of his weird stance it does take him a second uh to really hit uh full power but but i guess it works for him because he's um played significant snaps for ucf uh for five years now uh and this year he's got a 72.6 uh, overall grade, a 77.9 in the run defense, 72.4 tackle grade. Uh, his pass rush is 65.1, and his coverage grade is 62.2. So he's um, a bit more of a run defender, not as good in space uh, as his counterpart on the other side, Salasgar.
0: Yep. Now we get to talk about their linebacking room, which is considerably more normal. Um, it's Walter Yates the third number 27, and then Jason Johnson, number 0. Starting with Walter Yates, he's a pretty undersized linebacker. It's 6'1", 219, and it kind of shows. He's a transfer from Savannah State who didn't play for two years before transferring to UCF. Uh, This year's grade, he has a 55.1 total defense, 65.6 run defense, 70.3 tackling, uh, 61.6 pass rush, and then a 44.9 in coverage. Icky. (laughs) Icky. If you put him out wide in coverage against a running back, he just panics. And that's the number one way that I would describe him in coverage is panicky. He doesn't really have those coverage instincts that you really want. And he also doesn't have the athletic, the athleticism that you really want to cover both in zone or in man coverage. So whenever he's in zone coverage, he's very much one of those players who just happens to cover grass more than anything else. And because he's undersized, he's really relying on the the front four to eat those blocks for him because he has two choices. Duck the block and immediately abandon his gap to try and backdoor it, or die. Those are his two choices. And, you know, he's, he's average in terms of run defense, but not very good in coverage, And that's something that you may kind of notice with the other guy as well. That's Jason Johnson, number zero. He's also kind of undersized at 6'2", 224, but he's able to make it work considerably better. He's also a transfer from uh, Eastern Illinois, so it's another um, FCS transfer. But this year he has a 67.1 defensive grade, 68.4 run defense, 74.4 tackling, 60.5 pass rush and then 63.5 in coverage. His number one thing is he is really aggressive. He is hyper-aggressive all the time. And oftentimes he does this instead of making the smarter and safer play. And because of this, he kind of overruns plays, both in coverage and in run defense, where if he just took a second, he'd be in a much better position. In a lot of ways, he reminds me of a less consistent Daniel Green, which... You know, maybe that's not the best pull to make right now, given that Green, unfortunately, is done for the season. But I I think that that is... I don't think that's a really bad comp. He's an undersized and less, like, heady Daniel Green, which is still a threat on any given play. But he also will kind of work himself out of certain plays a lot as well. Which leads us to the corner room, which is another... like. We, we keep saying all of the rooms are interesting. Only one of them is weird, but all of them are at least interesting.
1: <laughs> yeah, so um, you have Corey Thornton, uh, number 14, and Brandon Adams uh, in this room, number 31. Uh, Thornton, he's six-one, one ninety. 190 um, as a uh, defensive back. Uh, his PFF grades, he's been a four-year contributor, um, and as... Really stepped into a starting role. Actually, he's really been a starter the whole time. Uh, his best year is back in 21, uh, and this year's still been pretty solid for him outside of tackling. Uh, he's got a 75.5 uh, grade uh, overall in defense, a 71.5 run defense. His tackle grade is horrible at 33.2. Uh, His pass rush uh, is a little below average. He's a corner, so who cares? And his (laughs) coverage grade is pretty good too at a 75.5. So there's a lot to like there uh, from his grades outside of his tackle. Um, And then um, as a a player from his film study, uh, when covering vertical routes, he's not the type to turn his head around. He will just try to work the sideline. Which is,
0: it's not a bad strat.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He just isn't worried about getting the pick uh, whatsoever. Uh, which outside of getting his head around a man, he's a little slow to react if he has to work backwards in uh, zone coverages. Uh, but other than that, he's a super experienced corner. He's played nearly two thousand snaps of high level Division One FBS football. So and then one hundred twenty six so far this year, Power Five. So he's a very experienced cornerback that's seen a lot. Yeah. And then that takes us to Brandon Adams, a very tall corner, 6'3", 180 pounds, uh, wears number 31. Uh, He's entering his third year, uh, and he uh, played fairly significant snaps uh, in his first two years at UCF. And now in year three, uh, he's got a a 73 grade, a 71.9 run defense, 38.8 tackle, 62.9 pass rush, and a 70. In pass coverage. So both their corners, at least according to PFF, do not tackle very well. Um, and then he does have some moments where he looks like he's kind of, just kind of jogging to his zone landmark. Uh, but beyond that, he's a fairly solid corner. Uh, his coverage grade is solid. Uh, they've sent him on one pass rush and apparently went okay. Uh, his run defense is solid and it overall is graded as a solid player. Uh, he's got good size, even though he's a little stiff.
0: Yep. Now their safety room, which consists of number 21 Nikai Martinez, number nine Joe Wilson, and number 10 Quadrick Bullard. Starting with Martinez. He's a 511 170 guy, which is, you know, undersized for a safety. But he's this is another case where I don't necessarily agree with uh, the PFF grades. Uh, he's lined up just about everywhere between the box and free safety. He has two snaps on the defensive line, which is very funny. I don't remember seeing those, but it's still really funny. Uh, he has a 62.1 run uh, total defensive grade, 65 run defense, 49.8 tackling, 54.2 pass rush, and then a 60.9 in coverage. Uh, I, I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, when asked to, I, I, he can high point the ball with the best of the best, especially when playing deep third, and he has generally really solid coverage instincts and because of that you can't leave the the ball in the air for very long when he's in the area because he's just going to find some way to get over to it and because of his side not just because of his size but that is a factor he's not great in run support just because he's not really great at finding those angles to get to the the proper run defense lane so I He's generally a solid safety that I think, honestly, may be a little underrated by PFF. Uh, And then you have Wilson, who is number 9. He is considerably larger at 6'3", 219. So he is the size of their linebackers, but playing safety. And he is a transfer from East Carolina, so transferring... Well, I guess up technically now, because they're power 5. But UCF is, not East Carolina. He has a 56.8 defensive grade, 51.6 run defense, 73.5 tackling, 55.9 pass rush, and 59.8 in coverage. He's very much a box safety. He's plus tackler, good in hook zones. That's his game. <laughs> he's solid, and you can tell by the size that he's bordering on just a third linebacker, but he has the athleticism to justify his existence as a safety as well. Uh, Bullard was the guy I had the least to say he's six foot 170 uh, four-year player at UCF uh, 59 defensive grade 66.7 run defense 63.7 tackling 56.3 pass rush and then the same grade 56.3 in coverage. he's their slot defender much more their slot player so kind of think him as like a nickel corner. He's just a guy. That's how i describe him. He's just a guy. But that is the scouting report regarding the UCF film study. Now we have to talk about the storylines going into the game for K-State. And the first and foremost one that is on just about everyone's mind is uh, Will was described as questionable by Kleiman for the game this week. So top question, is Will healthy enough to start? And if not, how does Avery fare in his first start? And this is one of the questions that we can't really answer the first one, but we can try to answer the second one.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously, we don't know with Will. If I had to guess, I bet he's going to try and get it out. I'd be shocked if he didn't. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, how would Avery fare in his first start? Um, that's a tough question because, again, he's very young, but he's an objectively much better situation to make his first career start as a true freshman than Will was. Um, he's yeah. got a lot of weapons around him, uh, both in the backfield and at receiver and tight end. Uh, I think that Avery could actually have a pretty good uh, first career start uh, against UCF, uh, especially given uh, what seems to be a willingness from uh, coach Kleiman uh, to um, really just turn them loose and not really have guardrails on for that first start, uh, which that, that level of confidence and also him uh, fully usurping uh, Jake Rubley at this point. Uh, well, as,
0: technically, he said that Rubley was taking some of the first team reps too.
1: Yes, he did. But he said that after he said that Avery Johnson was going to start yeah. if Avery <laughs> or if uh, Will can play. So I, I think that says more than enough about their faith in Avery.
0: Yeah, I, the number one difference between... Let me clarify something. I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of starting true freshmen. Because I think nine times out of ten, you're asking for trouble. Whenever you're starting a true freshman. However, I think that Avery is surprisingly poised in that regard. And like for a true freshman his age, he already looks bored. <laughs> Like, in the games that he's played, even against SEC competition against MU, he looked bored. He looked like it was just another day to him. So I think that poise, the number one fear that you have with true freshmen is that they're going to get scared, that they're going to try and do too much and do like be too fast, basically. I don't think that's the primary concern with Avery. So obviously he's not going to have the same mastery of the offense that Will does. It took, Will three years to get a mastery of the offense. Granted, with a different offensive coordinator. But I don't think it will be a disaster class if Avery starts. I wouldn't expect him to, you know, throw for three fifty or anything. But I would say that this game is more than winnable if Avery is the starting quarterback.
1: No, completely agree. But that can take us to the next story. Um, which considers another injured player, uh, which of course is Daniel Green, who will miss the rest of the season uh, with an upper body injury, torn pec. Uh, So with Jake Clifton injured um, as well, um, although he is coming back um, for the Oklahoma State game, I believe, uh, he um, won't be available uh, for this game. So that leaves true freshman Austin Romaine uh, as the next man up in the middle linebacker room. So, can Austin Romaine step up?
0: If you would have told me that Austin Romaine would have been the starting linebacker against the UCF in the summer, I I really would not have been a very happy camper. <laughs> but, that being said, Austin Romaine has been a massive surprise. He's been a massively pleasant surprise as well, and that's why he's shot up the depth chart so much. Uh, I I was comforted knowing that uh, although Austin Moore would be the starting Mike linebacker, Austin Moore, the other Austin that's a linebacker at Kansas State University that is from a uh, Midwestern Kansas slash Missouri town. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, it was comforting to hear that Moore would be the one doing a lot of the signaling, which, I, you know, that makes a lot of sense. I... I don't think Romaine will be anywhere close to a liability. I do think he will notice a difference between him and Daniel Green. But I think in a lot of ways, Romaine is, especially from what we've seen so far, he's up to the task. I just wouldn't expect him to be this, this world. I don't expect him to be like an all-Big 12 linebacker. I would expect him to, at this stage in his career, be at least average.
1: Yeah. Which, uh, yeah, you you said it well. I think um, if you had told me over the summer Austin Remain was going to uh, play against UCF, I would have assumed that tragedy struck <laughs> and that uh, like all of our linebackers like uh, broke the, all of their legs or something. <laughs> uh, but no, Austin Remain he has far surpassed our expectations uh, as a on um, player already. So I, I think he's. Probably the early contender for um, Alley Cat whiff of the year. Um nah, when it comes
0: to
1: I think it might be Romaine with how just how much he's playing. Yeah. Uh, but Fabris is a very close second.
0: Um, we got two whiffs this year. And
1: two pretty bad misses. But Romaine, I, I think that he can step up and do what he needs to do, like you said, without being very flashy. So I, I'm not. I, I am worried, but. Not as much as I would have been if this happened before the first game.
0: Yeah. Next question. With Trayshawn Ward also being listed as doubtful, according to Kleiman, is DJ Giddens ready for the workhorse load that he probably will have to take as a running back, given that the backs behind him are allegedly LeJames White, uh, Jordan Shippers, and then Tony Frias? I think... Personally, in my heart of hearts, maybe this is megacopium. I think Joe Jackson can work his way into that rotation, and I think he would be pretty high in that rotation. Uh, Do I have a big reason to justify that? Not really, other than he was the first guy to take garbage time reps against SEMA. But that's neither here nor there. The question's about DJ.
1: Yeah. um, I think... Um, that he could be, but a lot of that is going to come down to, uh, the offensive line. Uh, cause DJ outside of the first game has not really had an excellent running performance. Um, the last two games have been kind of okay for DJ. Um, so I'm a little worried in that regard. Um, but again, some of that is out of his control, I think.
0: Yeah. That's all I got. I, I think he. I think he's capable of shul- shouldering the workload. Like as from a purely physical standpoint, I think he has the build to be a bell cow running back. I think he has the build to be a bell cow NFL <laughs> running back. But uh, I I would expect him to get spelled. I don't know, maybe ten percent of the snaps on the day, maybe twenty, depending on how much he needs it. But I think he can handle it.
1: Yep, so that moves us into the next question, which is, can the defense play a complete game after some pretty spotty play last week?
0: I hope so. (laughs) Because a lot of the game last week was marked by inconsistency, except for in one area where the only consistency was bad. I think that the UCF offense brings a lot of unique challenges because of how often they're going to run uh, hurry-up offenses, how wide their splits are going to be. But I don't think that it's an impossible challenge, and I think after last week, I I think sometimes losses can serve as wake-up calls, and I don't think that this is a team that is going to wilt after a loss, because if they were, we wouldn't have won the Big 12 championship last year after what I think is objectively still a worse loss, even though Tulane was still a very good team. Uh, It was a home game, (laughs) but I, I think that they play a complete game. I don't think it's a perfect game, but I think it is at least a consistent one.
1: Yeah, I think I'm with you uh, on that. I'm, I have some things I am wondering about, uh, but I think they apply maybe more to the next question.
0: Yeah. Which that next question was, do the communication issues in the secondary get resolved and, Kleiman also said adjustments will be made, smiled, and then refused to elaborate. <laughs> so, first question, does the communication get resolved? Second, what do you think the defensive secondary adjustments will be?
1: Um, I would be shocked if we don't see major improvement on communication. Um, because in the past, that's never really been an issue, uh, as far as I can remember. So, I, it's a little shocking that it was as much of an issue as it was. Um, but adjustments being made, um, it could be anything uh, from his minor to simplifying um, their coverage pass-offs to it could be something as drastic as uh, reshuffling um, at safety, like maybe putting VJ down closer to the line instead, uh, just because he did show um, at a few times that he was fairly adept uh, in uh, coverage uh, up close to the line. He um, had a nice pass breakup with Luther Burden at one point. So they're is a possibility of that and just leave Siegel to play center field and go play in outer space or something like that. <laughs> but um, he does still bring a lot of value as a run stopper. So I'm interested to see how they change it, but there's, yeah, it could be something pretty small, but it could be something pretty drastic. Uh,
0: if we start basing quarters, I may just leave the stadium. I may just walk out.
1: I would be really disappointed if we did that. Uh, I... I got very sick of that um, during both Snyder 2.0, uh, just constantly giving up, passing yards, uh, just free uh, free release every single play. I got pretty sick of that. So if we if we start doing that, I'm going to be
0: just sick. <laughs> if I had to guess what they were, and I, I have no insider information on this, I would almost, I'm not going to say I'm going to guarantee that I'd be wrong here, but just because of the, vir- by virtue of, how many different options there are? If I had to guess, we may start um, running the more traditional 335 cover three from the three tie and that's where you have instead of having your one of your safeties uh, come down to play like a more like hook zone, you literally just drop your three safeties into deep zones, then have your down corners play like normal hook zones like it's a cover two. That would be my guess, because the number one problem was landmarks to the sidelines with the safeties. So they may just tell them, hey, divide into deep thirds as safeties instead of relying on uh, the corners backing off. I'm probably wrong. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, last question belongs to you.
1: Yep. Yeah, so Christian Duffy is finally back on the depth chart. Yay. Kleiman has said that he expects him to play anywhere from 20 to, I think he said, 35 snaps uh, at one point. Uh, So do you think he plays more than that projected range?
0: Not by much. I think they're going to try and ease him in. Um, So I'm assuming that K-State's offense gets like maybe 60 to 65 snaps. I'd project Duffy to play like half of them.
1: Yeah, I think that you're probably right. If I, I honestly would, depending on how the game goes, maybe think he plays on the lower end of that spectrum, uh, but it's it's tough to say really because we don't really
0: know where he is because mm-hmm.
1: uh, it has been a slow move back to
0: playing. So <laughs> you and I had the same reaction. It was like uh, the question will be conditioning, but Coach True is working with him on that. You and I both just went, oh no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, but I. I think he probably stays within that range, maybe even on the lower end.
0: Yeah. So now we can talk about projected offensive and defensive MVPs. I'll go first. My offensive MVP will be DJ Giddens, and my defensive MVP will be Jacob Parrish. DJ Giddens, because I I don't trust their linebackers in run defense, and I think that they're going to play themselves out of position a lot and that is the one place you don't want to be against DJ Ginn's just because of his contact balance. You cannot afford to take bad angles against him. And then defensively, Jacob Parrish, uh, honorable mention goes to Will Lee. You could honestly just say the outside corners uh, because they're going to be playing ridiculously wide splits, leaving those corners out on islands. And while I adore Will Lee as you know a coverage player... I think Jacob Parrish, I just think that they'll avoid going vertical against Will Lee. Um, I think Jacob Parrish has the more lateral athleticism to where he'll be able to get in quickly on those slants. Kind of like he did last week. There were a few times where he got there pretty quick against slants last week. But who are your picks, Connor? Uh,
1: On offense, if he starts, I'm saying Avery Johnson. Uh, If he does not start, I'm going to say Keegan Johnson. And then defensively, I'm going with Austin Moore. Um, Offensively, my logic here is if Avery starts, uh, I'm just going to go out on a limb and project him to have uh, a fantastic day. I think he'll throw for over 200 and rush for over 100 uh, if he starts uh, and get at least three touchdowns. Uh, But otherwise, I think Keegan Johnson is due at this point. He's been fairly quiet so far. And uh, he's been mostly uh, um, bracketed and focused on uh, by um, defenses other than the few snaps he got against Troy. So um, I think Keegan Johnson's due for a breakout. And defensively, I think Austin Moore, there's just so much relying on him uh, with Daniel Green uh, being lost for the rest of the season. So I think Austin Moore uh, this week, uh, I think a lot of the defensive success will come down to him. And I believe in him, so I've got him on defense for the MVP.
0: Yep. Now we can talk about score projections, and since I went first for the MVPs, you can go first for the score projections.
1: I've got K-State winning 38-28.
0: Any reason for that? or Vibes? Just vibes. Just vibes? Yep. All right. I don't think that this will be a very good offensive game for either side. Uh, I am projecting that Will does not play. This would change if Will is confirmed to be playing. I think that there will be growing pains without Will in this offense, especially with the fact that we're going to be playing a true freshman in Avery. That's not to say I don't think Avery's ready. I think Avery can step in, and I think he will play pretty well. That being said, I can I see this more being as a defensive matchup. And again, a lot of it, this is sort of a half-hearted, and I do think... That there are more worlds where K-State wins than they don't. Um, I have it being a 21-17 Cats victory. And like I said at the top of this, I don't know what to make of UCF so far. Um, And Kleiman seemed to feel that way too in the presser. But just with the information that I have, I'd go 21-17 Cats. It's going to be a Sweaty. It's not going to be a comfortable game. Um, but hopefully there won't be any death storms coming in like the last time UCF was here. Uh, yeah, I
1: really hope that as well because I've not really seen anything like that since. Uh, as of right now, it's not projected to rain uh, on a, a Saturday. Uh, but at the very least, if something like that does happen, we won't be able to see it because it'll be nighttime.
0: So <laughs> the I, the death cloud game. Mm. Anyway, do you have any final notes? I do not. All right. Well, if that's the case, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. If you want to follow or contact the show, you can follow us on Twitter or just about anywhere else at AggievilleACats. If you want to email us, we're AggievilleAlleycats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I am at AC Edwards 0
1: I am at Connor Balthazar, capital
0: C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store. Link in the Twitter bio and our podcast bio. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats Podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver it to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.